I am really um, excited to be speaking this morning. Um, and I'm glad to see lots of people here today. I thought maybe it was a long weekend. You don't know who's going to end up showing up. But I was praying because I, that more people would come because I really feel like this is an important message this morning. And I feel like some, it's something that God has really put upon my heart. It's been on my heart for a long time. And this is actually a message I wrote a while ago. Um, but I think it's something that we all need to hear. And uh, I think that God really wants to speak to us, each one of us, this morning. And um, the reason I feel like God has put this message on my heart is because in the last several years, not just, and it's, um, yeah, in the last several years, I've seen, honestly, a lot of people who have fallen away from the faith, who've kind of given up on God, who've kind of given up on this word, who's give, who've given up on truth. Um, I've known many pe young people, in fact, who have followed God wholeheartedly with passion, who are now basically gone down the road to universalism, you know. And it really grieves my heart. It makes me sad because I love the church and I love the body of Christ and I just really want to see us thriving. I want to see us in love. I want to see us living with passion as the, the way God called us to live. And, um, and I really believe, um, you know, I'm going to bring this message in a lot of love. I am because God is so amazing. I, I look these uh, the worship this morning. God is so, he so loves us. And the, more, the closer I get to him, the more I realize just how amazing he is and how loving and gracious he is. He is an amazing God, and he is worthy to be loved and to be served. And, but I really feel like God is something, speaking the truth in love, in love, the key, um, is something that God has definitely called me to. It's been prophesied over me several times. And people have said, you know, you're going to speak the truth and God had put, has put that passion in my heart, honestly. It's like a fire that burns in my bones, like Jeremiah. He said the fire burned in his bones, and he had to speak it. And I feel like that's the way God has made me. You know, that i got to speak the truth. I have to speak the truth. And I'm okay to be misunderstood sometime. I'm okay with that, you know? But I'm gonna, I, I just really want to bring the truth in love this morning. And I want to encourage us, too. It's not just going to be truth, but it's going to be encouragement and hope. A lot of hope, you know? And um, so I really want to talk about how we can stay on track in our relationship with God. How we can be ready for His return or whenever we're going to see God. The end of our life. You know, because we don't know when He's going to return. It could be any moment, you know, could be a long time from now. But we need to be ready to meet Him. And how not to be among those who have shipwrecked their faith. And so what I want us to read together in Matthew chapter 24. If you have a Bible and want to read. Or a phone. Put my glasses on. Yeah. And this is Jesus speaking to the disciples of what it's going to be like. Um... When he returns, starting at verse 4, when uh, he comes back um, the second time, and he, the, so we'll just read it, 
And Jesus, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, what will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am Messiah and, and will deceive many. And you will hear, hear of wars and rumors of war. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Doesn't sound too fun, but... And at that time, many will turn away. Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So who thinks we're living, maybe, in the last days? Yeah, it, it definitely seems like that, doesn't it? I mean, this world has kind of gotten a little crazy, you know? And um, it definitely seems. But, you know, in that chapter, as bad as it sounds, it says right there, see to it that you are not alarmed. Yeah? It's not a time to get alarmed. But it is a time, there is a warning in that passage, isn't there? It says that there will be people who will turn away from the faith. Uh, there will be false prophets who will deceive people. There will be an increase of wickedness, and the love of most will grow cold. So that is a warning for us, isn't it? As the, as the world gets more and more difficult, the temptation will be to turn away, to give up, to lose our faith, to get cold in our love, to get afraid. But that's not what God is calling us to. So I'm going to deal, I want to talk about this, how not to be one of those, how not to fall away. And this is no guarantee, guys, obviously, but how not, with God's help, to be one of the ones that falls away, how not to be deceived, and how to keep our love strong, and how to stay firm to the end in our faith, whether that's the end of our life or that's when he returns, right? We still need to stay firm to the end. Uh, the first thing I, I, I think I want to talk about that I think is so key is knowing the truth. And I feel like that is so important because if we don't know the truth, we're going to get deceived, aren't we? I mean, truth keeps you from deception. Deception, the point of, uh, with deception, you know, you don't know you're deceived. That's, that's what deception is. You don't know you're deceived, right? But if you know the truth and you know it inside and out, you're going to know when the deception comes, and you're not going to give in to that deception or that lie, aren't And so we need to know truth is. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, what's truth? And where do we find truth? And this, to me, this is the truth. This is where we get our truth from, right? The Word of God, the Bible, right? 
We have the voice of God besides this. We have messages that we hear besides this that people preach. We have things that we personally think we hear from God. We have all kinds of things coming at us about what people believe and this and that and that, right? But unless it lines up with the Word of God, it's not truth. And that's the bottom line. We can be deceived if, if all we are doing if we're not getting into this word. And we have to read it with Holy Spirit. That's important too. We really have to, we have to read it with him. So we need to get into the word. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture. It doesn't say some scripture, but it says all. Let's say that, all scripture. Is God breathed? Yeah, all scripture is God breathed. This book is God breathed. It's anointed. It's Holy Spirit breathed this word out through people. Yeah. And it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. So this word is important. It's so important. We need to know the word of God. And we have to build our lives on the truth of the word. I, I'm sure many of you have heard this um, about how a federal agent um, learns to recognize a counterfeit bill. How many have heard that story? So they don't study the counterfeit bill. And I looked this up. It's, it's really true. So <laughs> they do not study the counterfeit bill. They don't look at it. They don't, you know. What they do is study the real thing. They study the feel of it, the look of it, you know. And they know that bill inside and out. Like we need to know our word inside and out. So that when the fake bill, the deception comes, they are not deceived. They know in a moment's notice that that is not real. That is not the real bill. That is not the real deal. That's not the real truth. Oh, I'm getting excited here. <laughs> That's not the real truth. We have to know the word. We have to know it so we know when a deception comes, when a lie comes, we have to know what this word says. And we have to believe that this word is 100% truth. It's 100% inspired by God. And I believe that from the bottom of my soul. I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, so we have to have a standard or we, can, we could just make stuff up, Right? You know, we, we, we can't just make stuff up. We have, it has to be in the... This is what God gave us to know what he said. And everything apart from that has to line up with the truth of this word. Psalm 119 says, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. And the, the book of Psalm, Psalm 119, so full. The whole thing, many, many verses is full of how important this word is and how important it is to get into the word. And, and my question is, can we trust God to keep this word secure through the ages? That it's still pure, that it's still right, that it hasn't changed. It is the same word yesterday, today, and forever. And I know um, there are things hard in the word of God, are there not? There are things that are difficult to understand things that we don't understand, things that we think, well, I don't think I would do it that way, you know? And it, it, it doesn't seem loving, maybe it doesn't, it, we can't get our minds around some of the things in this word. But I want to tell you what I do in those cases when I don't 
understand. I'm not telling you what to do, but this is what helps me, okay? To stay firm in this word, in the, in the belief that this is fully inspired by God and this is truth. So I will, I will look at those passages. You know, I'm, I might even Google it, <laughs> but I will study it. I will get into the Greek and I will try to see and ask Holy Spirit, what are you saying in your word? But the bottom line is that when I come to that point where I still don't get it, and I still think, this is not how I would do this, God. This, I, don't, I don't understand this. This doesn't seem right. Basically, honestly, I kind of just let it go, and I trust God. I trust God that he's good, that he's faithful, and that he's loving, no matter what it looks like to me, because I don't understand God, right? I can't understand him fully until I get to heaven. And even then, it's going to take eternity to, to delve into the mysteries of God because he is so huge. We cannot understand him. I mean, his, his attributes are so different from our attributes. His ways are, are far above our ways and our thoughts. His thoughts are far above our thoughts, like, he sees things from an eternal perspective, right? He sees the beginning. He sees the end. He, you know, when something maybe doesn't look loving to you, that doesn't mean it's not. Because everything he does is loving, good, and faithful, right? Everything. That's who he is. And he cannot deny who he is. He's always good. You know, even his discipline for us, he disciplines his children. Well, that's faithfulness. That's love. That's goodness, right? Because what father, what parent, what happens if you don't discipline your child? They're going to do something stupid, and they're going to mess up their life, right? And, and, and boundaries and rules, you set boundaries because you know that's going to help them, right? It's because those things harm us, and so he puts some boundaries in place, and that's totally, completely his love, his love for us. Yeah. So, I mean... Is thinking in the, so I just want to leave some mystery to God. You know, I want to leave room for, I don't understand everything about you, God, but that is okay because I still trust you and I still trust your word. Yeah. And that's why we get into this word, to learn more about God, to learn more about his mysteries, to see his goodness and love on every single page of this book. The more I read this book, the more I am in awe of how good and gracious and loving he is. You know, I don't see this angry God at all. I don't see this. I see this God who is so loving and so graceful. Like, Jesus, the more you study this word, the more you realize that Jesus is on every single page of this book. You know, if you don't know him in this room, man, he is so good. He is so good. I mean, he had a plan before the world even began. He knew, he created us, knowing that we would totally reject him, that we would mess this world up. I mean, we have messed this world up, have we not? But he, he still created us because he wanted to love someone. He has so much love in his heart that he created a people to love. And he loves us so much. And he knew we were going to mess up. And yet, he had a plan. He had a plan before he created this world that he was going to come and rescue us. Is that not amazing? And everything points to it. The temple, the sacrifices, um, just so many things in this word point to God's love for us and his plan for us. So it's a good book, guys. It's such a good book 
And we need to be into his word. And we need to be asking Holy Spirit to speak to us, through us. We need to believe that this word is living and active. It's not dead words on a page. It's not just words on a page. These are living and active words that God wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to us from this word. And so we need to get into this word every day. It's like bread. It's like food. And we need to, sorry if I offend anyone, but we need to stand on this word. (laughs) We need to stand on this word that it is truth. And it's what we live by. Yeah. In relationship with God. In relationship with Holy Spirit. Yeah. So, but I I do realize, I just want to say this, I realize that in this generation, it's really hard. There are, in this generation, it's getting more and more difficult to stay firm, is it not? It's harder and harder to stay firm on truth, because all of a sudden, it costs us something. It's starting to cost us something in this country. There, I mean, there's been a cost... In Bible times, there was a huge cost. In other parts of the world, there's a huge cost for following Jesus. But we have not experienced that in North America up till now. And you see the beginnings of it. That people are now being questioned and made to feel like, oh, I better not speak what this word says. I better not believe this truth. I, maybe I should just change what it says, you know. <laughs> or, or, but we can't do that. We cannot do that. We have to speak the truth in love, in love, and that is the key. We have to love, but we cannot change it. And, uh, and I know especially young adults, young people are really feeling the pressure, right, to compromise and to make the gospel sound more accepting and more appealing. But the truth is, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's the truth. We can't make it appealing to the lost. Only Holy Spirit can do that. We can't make it sound real good always. It is a good message, but they don't always see that. They're, they're, they just focus on what Jesus had to die on a cross. Are you kidding me? I don't want to have anything to do with that God. You know, who would send his son to hell? Why would I want to have anything to do with that God? So it is a stumbling block for many. And we cannot make it. Um, more palatable to, to, the, to the world. It just, it's not going to happen unless God, Holy Spirit, draws them. And I believe God is beginning to draw people. And, and it also says in the Word, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they rejected me, they're going to reject you. And we need to just expect that. You know, the church in China, Lloyd was, we love Francis Chan. <laughs> We've been listening a lot to Francis Chan. And he goes to China. He's Chinese, and he goes there a lot, and um, he lived there for a little while, too, after he stepped down from his mega church. And the church there is just thriving and growing in spite of persecution, right? And um, he asked them what, they talked about what their values were, and one of their values was they embrace suffering. Wow. They embrace suffering. That's a hard one, right? But, but if you live godly, the Bible says, you will experience it. And, and, and you know, it's going to get harder to stand firm. But I believe we're going to have a firm foundation and say, I will not, I will not with the help of Holy Spirit, I will stand firm in this word and in my faith. 
no matter what the cost, that I'm willing to count the cost. It says, you know, don't put your, uh, look to the, what is it, the plow, what is that verse? <laughs> put the hand to the plow and look back, right? Let's put our hand to the plow and say, no matter what, I am going to stand firm. I'm going to stand firm in this word, in this truth. So, and, and you know, we can't just have an appetite only for all the, the good stuff, right? Because it says in that, the, that verse, all scripture, right, is inspired by God, is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching. This word teaches us. It rebukes sometimes. Sometimes we need a, a good rebuke in love, right? We need to hear where we need to change. There's correction and there's training in righteousness. And because it, it says in 2 Timothy 4, 3, it says the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to say. So let's not say, let's not just always, you know, want to hear all the good stuff, right? We want to hear the truth too. We want to hear where we need to change. So the next thing I want to talk about is in uh, Revelation 19, verse 7. I don't know if anyone wants to look that up. But it's talking about Jesus' return. And it compares Jesus' return. It talks about the wedding to come, the wedding. It says, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. And who is looking forward to the wedding? <laughs> you know that you are the bride of Christ. You are uh, betrothed to Jesus Christ. And... It says in Ephesians 1.4, in another beautiful picture of this engagement, it says, He, which is Holy Spirit, is if you are His child, then He, the Holy Spirit, is given to you like an engagement ring is given to a bride as the first installment of what's coming. And I love this. I, we, this was in a devotion I was doing with Kathy this week, this verse. And she's like, wow, if, if the Holy Spirit in us is the first installment, and think about it, Holy Spirit, his power raised Christ from the dead. His power is like crazy power. But he's just, he, it says he's a first installment of what's to come. There's so much that God has for us. So much to look forward to. It's amazing. So I want to talk with you about uh, the Jewish betrothal and wedding traditions from Bible times. And, and my I wasn't even going to put this in my message, but I was reading this book, and it's a fiction kind of book based on biblical times, and it's about um, the centurion who had the faith, you know? And obviously, it's an add-on. It's, you know, probably didn't really happen, but it, they based it on that, and he, got, he gets, in the book, he uh, comes, becomes betrothed to this woman, and she is a Jew. He's not. She's a Jew. And so, they end up having this Jewish uh, betrothal and wedding. And it kind of opened my eyes to how much, again, that is a picture of us as the bride and Jesus as our groom. And it's such a beautiful picture. So first of all, uh, the marriage was arranged by the, the father, the fathers. And just like it still happens in some parts of the world, there was a dowry or money or whatever that was given from the groom to the bride's father, okay? 
And that, that reminds me of how Jesus bought us. He bought us with a price, the price of his blood, didn't he? He redeemed us from the father of this world, right? Which is the enemy, right? And, um, and then there was an engagement that took place, an engagement ceremony. And she would have a beautiful dress, not the same she would wear at the actual wedding, but she, they would have this beautiful dress and a veil. And in this case, she was completely, they couldn't even see her eyes. Like, I mean, she was completely covered. And they had this ceremony. And once the ceremony took place, they actually did not live together. They were engaged. But at the same time, they were considered married. And nothing could separate them. Nothing. They, could, they couldn't divorce. They could, I mean, if they did, I mean, if they split up at that point, not like today where you could, it was considered a divorce, you know? They were committed to each other, and yet they didn't live together. Interesting, eh? And then the groom would go from that ceremony, he would go back to his father's house, and he would prepare a place. Does that sound like anything? Jesus going back to prepare a place for us. He is in heaven preparing a place for us. And, um, and it usually took about a year to prepare. Uh, the bride would know that this was probably going to be a one-year period. But she, and so she would kind of know when he was going to come for her. And it would be a surprise, though. It would be a total surprise of when the actual wedding was going to take place. They didn't set a date. The father of the groom would decide when it was going to take place. He would look and say, okay, the place is ready. The place he's prepared is ready for the bride. So I'm going to call for this wedding to happen. And that's what's going to happen. We don't know the time. We don't know. We can look at that. We kind of can see from the signs around us that he's coming, but we do not know exactly when he's coming. Even Jesus doesn't. But he is going to come. And, when he, and it's going to be a surprise. And we have to be ready. And what the father would do is he'd blow the shofar, the trumpet. And the groom and, and all his friends, and they would walk. They would walk to the house or wherever the, 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 the bride-to-be lived. And she would have to be ready. She didn't, she's not going to want to go to a wedding in her grubby clothes, right? She has to be ready. At a moment's notice, she knows any moment he could come. So she has to have made her dress, prepared her dress, made it beautiful, have everything ready, prepared her body, prepared her skin, be ready at a moment's notice to meet her groom so that she would not be ashamed. And so she would put on these clothes, right? She would be ready to put on these clothes. But she had to make herself ready. And we have to make ourselves ready to meet the king of kings. We have to make ourselves ready because there is going to be a wedding. There is going to be a wedding. I love that little song. There's going to be a wedding. And God, Jesus, is going to come for his bride. And he's coming for a pure and spotless bride who is ready to meet with him. So I want to now talk about how we can make ourselves ready. How do we make ourselves ready to meet our groom? And the next chapter after Matthew 24 is Matthew 25, and I want us to look at it. And I believe this is one of the ways that we make ourselves ready.
this is the parable of the ten virgins. And we know we've heard this many times. Uh, and so let's just read this. At the time, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming. Doesn't it seem like that? He's a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. That's the temptation. It says in the last days, people think, is he actually going to come? Because this seems like it's going on and on and on. And this darkness is going on. And when is Jesus ever going to return? And, and the temptation is to fall asleep, to give up, right? Then at midnight, at midnight, they're ready to go to sleep. It's like they don't, they don't expect it. The cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there, may be, there not, might not be enough for both of us, for us and you. So instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy their oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is quite the um, parable. And, and uh, we have to keep oil in our lamps. We have to have oil. And what does that mean, right? What does that look like? I was reading um, a couple weeks ago uh, a thing that Heidi Baker put on, on Facebook. <laughs> and it was really good. And it was about this. She was talking about how do we buy oil? There is only one way to do this, she said, and that is spending time in the presence of God. We buy oil whenever we spend time in the presence of God, and he fills us. He fills us and prepares us so that when the emergencies come, we have oil. So we need this oil not just for when Jesus returns, but we need this oil for everyday life because when the hard times come, if we don't have oil, we are going to give up, right? So we have to be full of his presence. And it takes, this process takes time. It's not just this one day thing. You did it or you went to church and you're filled. No, it is a continual filling. It's like getting into his word and presence every day. And it takes some time. It takes investment. We can't go to those who've already made that investment and say, lend us some of your oil. It can't be done. That's when Jesus returns. It can't be done. We have to have our own oil. We have to go and spend time in his presence. That's the only way. So it's important that we go and buy oil. That we go and we get into the presence of God. 
that we pursue his presence like never before, that we don't rely on somebody else's oil or somebody else to feed us. We listen to messages online. We do come to church and we do all these things, but we need to have our own oil. We need to get into God's presence ourselves. We need to read this word ourselves. We need to be full of Holy Spirit, his presence, and he longs to fill us. He's so good, guys. He's so good. And it takes intentionality. It's not just like, ah, whatever, you know. You have to be intentional, and this is not striving, but you do have to be intentional, don't you? You have to spend time in his presence. And 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 that looks different for different people, right? Some of us have more time than others for that. But what you value, you will make time for, right? If you value him, if you are passionate for him, are you passionate to be filled with him? You will make time for it, you know? Maybe you're a young mom and you say, I don't have time. Maybe, God forbid, (laughs) you might have to get up a little earlier, right? Nobody wants to hear that. Or on a walk with God. Go on a walk with God. Get away from your kids, you know? I'm sure there's times you can do that. Or pray while you're washing the dishes or in your car, you know? There, we can find the time if we really value it. <sighs> Revelations 2, verse 2 to 5. Let's look at that. Here it is. And this is the letter to the church at Ephesus. And... Um, Let's just read that. He says, in verse, starting at verse 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. In other words, they were doing stuff for God. They were serving God. They, that was not in question whatsoever. And then he said, you don't tolerate wicked men. So you have a correct view of sin, and you stand for truth. That is not in question. They stood for truth. They didn't tolerate wicked men. And you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. So in other words, you, reckon, you even recognize deception when it comes because maybe they knew truth. They knew what the truth was, right? They recognized the deception. And number four, you have perve- persevered and you have endured hardships for my name, and you haven't grown weary. You haven't given up. And these are all amazing things that God would say about us. You serve me. You don't tolerate wickedness. You recognize deception. You haven't given up. And yet, it says, yet I have this against you. You're like, wow, is, was that not enough? <laughs> that seemed like an awful lot to me. But, but it wasn't. It wasn't enough. It says, yet I have this against you because you have forsaken your first love. Oh, (laughs) you've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And this is not more stuff for him, but this is love stuff. (laughs) Things, relationship kind of stuff. That's what God wanted. And if he said, if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lamp from its place. And 
I'm not going to be here to say what that means, what the lampstand being removed from its place is. I don't know exactly. You know, whether that's your testimony, whether that's, I don't know. But I'd, all I know is we don't want to be that person. Do we? we don't want to be that church. We want to, we want to have a witness. We want to have a testimony. We want to be ready. And we want to love him. And God takes this really seriously. He takes us loving him very seriously. Now, he doesn't force himself on anyone. He's a good God. He doesn't force us to love him. He can't force us to love him. He created us with free will. And love isn't love, is it, unless it's freely given. So love has to be freely given from our hearts in order for it to be love. But he longs, he wants, and he even commands, believe it or not, our love. It said the first commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. So you can do all these things for God. You can even not be deceived. You can even speak the truth. You can even um, not fall away or recognize deception, but you still, if you don't love him, it's still nothing. We need to love. We need to love him. And, and he says, remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So I want to talk about that, what that looks like to do the things we did at first, that first love kind of love, you know? And the first thing I want to say is that you can't love God. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it unless we have a revelation of how much he loves us. And the more you get into this word, honestly, this is happens for me. I read this word over and over again. Uh, the more I fall in love with him, the more I realize how good he is, how gracious he is, how loving he is. And it makes you just love him more. Like, the more we know his love, the more we are filled to the measure of all his fullness and the more that we can love him back and love the people around us. So we have to go after with all our heart this loving God thing, right? And we have to get back to our first love. I was, Lloyd went down um, last two weeks ago to Francis Chan training, We the Church is called. And on the very last day, Francis Chan came, mostly it was another guy speaking, a couple other guys. And, um, and he shared with me what he, I listened to what he said. And one statement that he said really stood out to me. And this is what he said. He said, when you're in love, there is no balance. You're all in. Is that true or what? Who's been in love? <laughs> is there balance when you're in love? No. Do you know there's actually a chemical in your brain when you're in love that causes you to be obsessed with that person that you can't get enough of them and you, you just got to be with them? So it's so true, you know? And I wanted, most of you, some of you, a few of you may have heard how Lloyd and I met, but um, I just want to share with you the story of how we met and how this is a good example of no balance, okay? <laughs> Seriously, I'm not joking. <laughs> so I met him at Bible college. I came into a room, into a classroom, and there was no chairs. Every single chair was taken. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to stand at the back. And Lloyd was at the back, back seat. And he gets up, only guy in the room, who got up and gave me his seat. And that impressed me, let me tell you. I was like, wow, 
you know. And, and we didn't talk much a little, I was friends with his uh, brother, but we didn't talk much after that for a while. Um, then there was a day, uh, one other day where we kind of threw a football around for a bit at a, um, welcoming all the new freshman students. And that was it. And then uh, one day after that, he came in. And when, actually, when we threw that football around, I was with some other, I was with another guy. <laughs> anyway, so he came into the library. He sat down where I'm studying. Got my, you know, I didn't have a computer then, yeah. Studying my books and for the class. And I could tell he was nervous. And I'm thinking, oh, no. And honestly, at that time, I did not want to date another guy. No. I had been in a relationship for three and a half years. Okay, this is crazy. I hadn't broken up with him yet. I knew I was going to. I had it all planned, and I was going to meet this guy. And I, but so Lloyd comes, and he asks me out on this double date. And I, my head said, my thoughts said no. But my mouth said yes. <laughs> so I don't know why, but I went on this date. And I was excited. The more I, you know, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. And the anticipation. And, and so I was at my work when he picked me up for this date. And these women from my work were like watching at the window, seeing what's going on. He comes in, he grabs my coat for me, he puts it on, gives me roses, a dozen roses, or a couple roses, maybe a couple roses. And, and then he opens, opens the door for me to go out. He opens the door to the car, gets me in, you know. <laughs> and they were like, I mean, after, they were like, whoa, <laughs> where did you find this guy? <laughs> you know, he knew how to impress me. He was very romantic. And then they took us to, for dinner at a Korean restaurant, a very spicy food. And, um, and then we went to a park. We were in London, Ontario. We went to this park. And the two guys, they get out a guitar, and they start singing to us, serenading us. Now, I can't say they were, like, perfectly singing this, but it was from there. It was awesome. It was awesome. And then all of a sudden, they see a guy walk by, and they run after him. I'm like, what is going on right now? They run after him, and they start telling the guy about Jesus. Okay, so I'm sitting there thinking, wow, <laughs> wow. And they don't just tell him about Jesus, but they lead the guy to the Lord. He accepts the Lord on the spot. And little did I know that that was going to be my life, you know. Lloyd would be witnessing to everyone everywhere, every chance he can get, and he still does it. So, you know, but that, I was looking for that. It's like, I, I don't know, I was just like, wow, <laughs> in my heart. And then we went to this little cafe, and again, they were witnessing to a guy in there. And, and I went home, I opened the door, my mom was at the door. I looked at her, and I said, Mom, this is the guy I'm going to marry. And she just laughed at me. Now, is that crazy or what? No balance. First date. What? <laughs> I mean, crazy. And it's not like I heard an audible voice saying, marry this guy. But it was like, I just knew. I don't know why. I just knew. And he felt the same way. And, and in fact, within six days, he told me he loved me. Uh, then he invited me to go to his parents' house for the weekend for Thanksgiving dinner. So we're there. We walk up the stairs in the middle of the weekend. He turns around and says, will you marry me? 
and we'd only been dating eight days, okay? And I, you would think I'd be like, what, are you crazy? But no, again, I said yes. That's all I said, yes, you know? And everybody thought we were nuts, pretty much everybody. Thought we were crazy. We had multiple people tell us our marriage would not last. Uh, it was too fast, you know? But we just knew, I don't know, we just knew. And nothing was going to uh, take us away from that, right? And there was this like, yeah, we just knew. And, and there was no balance, really. <laughs> we couldn't get enough of each other. We just spent every moment we could together. I mean, we probably annoyed everyone around us. You know when you're in love and all you do is talk about that person? It's like, okay, I think I've heard enough. This is, ugh. you know, <laughs> I really don't want to hear this anymore. <laughs> But that's the way it is when you are in love. And that's how we need to pursue God, isn't it? We need to be all in. We need to be almost out of balance. I, yeah, I actually pray. You may think this is crazy, but I actually pray, Lord, I want to be obsessed with you. I want to be a radical. I want to be radical for you. I want to be radical in my love for you. And I don't care what anybody thinks because I just want to love you. I want to love you. And God is beginning to answer that prayer in me. It is a good prayer to pray. Don't be afraid to pray it. Because he wants us to love him like that. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Because he is amazing. And, and as you pray, that he's just going to begin to show you how good he is. How loving he is. How faithful he is. And then we are told, got to quit soon. <laughs> just the rest is quick. But we are told to be alert not to fall asleep. Uh, we have to remind ourselves every day that this could be the day, right? We have to keep our eyes on the prize. We've got to keep our eyes on heaven. And that means to look away, to keep your eyes on Jesus, actually literally means to look away from all else. What's distracting you from looking at him? That's the question. Is something distracting you from looking at him? We need to keep our eyes looking on him because he is the prize. He is the pearl of great price. He is worth giving up everything for, for. And I believe that from the bottom of my heart, he is worth giving up everything for. He is so worth it. He's The more you go close to him, the more you're going to realize he's so, 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 so worth it. He's so worth your love. He's so worth your time. He's so worth it. He's so worth it. You know, and when we look in the last days, it is not a time to give up, guys. It's not a time to get afraid. And you know that even in the midst of darkness, when things get darker and darker as they are, there's always hope. There's always hope. Let's say that. There's always hope. There is always hope. This is not a time to look at the news, lose hope, and think, oh, well, you know, either get afraid or think, oh, well, the world's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So, you know, I might as well accept it. I might as well just kind of give up. But no, that is not what we need to do. Now is the time, more than ever, to be proactive. Now is the time to be serious about our faith, and to arise and shine like never before. Isaiah 60 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, 
Darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. Does that sound like now? Darkness is over people's minds, right? They're deceived. They're confused. But that is the time when God wants to rise upon us. He wants us to shine with his glory. And Lord, uh, the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The nations will come to your light. I believe nations will be saved. Kings will come. Leaders will come. They will come to see this God and this, his goodness. Lift up your eyes and look about you when you're in this place of shining with his glory in the darkness. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look about you. And what are you going to see? All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. And this isn't, I believe, I don't think this is talking about physical babies here. But this is talking about spiritual sons and daughters that God wants to give you in the last days. Okay? And there are going to be many coming. And because of that, you will look and be radiant. Wow, God, you are doing this through me. And your heart will throb and swell with joy. It will be a time of joy. There might be darkness and craziness going on, but this is going to be a time of joy where your heart will throb and swell with joy. And then the wealth of the seas will be brought to you. The riches of the nations will come. And I believe that this riches, this wealth, will be brought for the purpose of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. He says it's going to give the wealth of the wicked into the hands of the righteous, right, at the last days. But that is for the purposes of us taking this gospel to the ends of the earth. You know, it says, I didn't read that verse in Revelation 24, but after describing all that's going to happen in the last days, this is what it says. It says, i got to find it. <laughs> Here it is. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. That's the final thing. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That is exciting, guys. That is so exciting. This is not a time to give up. I love, um, I'm just trying to find this quote, Bill Johnson. He said this, when Jesus said that there would be wars and rumors of war, he was not giving us a promise. Okay? He wasn't giving us a promise. But he was describing the conditions into which he was sending his last day's army. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. He wasn't giving a promise about wars and rumors of war and all this stuff going to happen. But he was describing the conditions into which he was sending his last day's army. Wow. It's not a time to be afraid. He is with us. The Bible says don't be afraid when there's no crops on the vine, when there's no cattle in the field, there's no food. Don't be afraid when the mountains quake and foam and fall into the sea and there's earthquakes and everything crazy is going around you and there's an army surrounding you. It's still not a time to be afraid. Most people are going to be afraid. But if we have Jesus and we are in his presence and we are full of his love, we will not be afraid because we know he's with us. We know he's surrounding us. We know he's taking care of us. We know that he's going to meet our needs. We know that he's going to multiply our food. He's going to give us everything that we need. And even if we have to be persecuted for our faith, he is with us in that moment. And he will be so close. It's not a time to be afraid, but it's an invitation. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to be one that takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's an invitation to be a burning one. 
I was reading this. When I was studying this, I opened my book. You know how you open your Bible and you, okay, usually it doesn't work. <laughs> but this time, I opened my Bible, and this is what I said. I feel like God's saying this to us. The first words I saw were, the fire will not go out. <laughs> and I think God is inviting us into this, to be a burning one. To the fi- that the fire will not go out. To say, yes, God, I am going to be. I commit this day to be a burning one for you. I commit this day to stand firm in your truth. To not give up. To not give in. Even though the world around me tempts me to do so, I will not give up and I will not give in. But I will love you. I will pursue you. I will get into your presence. And I will preach the gospel with a boldness like I never had before. I believe there will be many who fall away. But there will always be a remnant, and there has always been a remnant. And he is calling us and saying, will you be part of that remnant? Will you be part of the remnant that doesn't give up, that doesn't get deceived, but instead rises to be in boldness, to be among a company of men and women who will take the gospel to the ends of the earth? And that's what I want. I pray every day, God, let me not be deceived. Let me not be deceived. Let us be, let me be faithful to the end. Let me love you. I pray the same for my children and my grandchildren. And I believe that God is going to keep us faithful. He's going to keep us faithful as we pursue him, as we get into his presence, as we get filled up with him, as we learn to love him, as we know his love. And the more we, the more we get into his presence, the more we know his love, and the more we can love his body. And, and this is a time to come together too, guys. I forgot to mention, but a time to come together as a people, to be unified, to encourage one another. We need each other. We so need each other. We can't forsake assembling of ourselves together. It's so easy to get into the distractions and stuff of this world, but we need each other. We need to get together. We need to love on each other and encourage one another. So that is my, my word today. And I know it's an intense word and it's a crazy word, but... But I, I just know God has put this on my heart. Again, life is so short. You know, we don't know how much time we have. And if there's any here who've never received Jesus as their Savior, I want to give you that invitation even right now as well. You know, he's so good. He's so loving. He's so faithful. He had a plan to rescue you from before he even created you, before this world began. He had a plan to send his son, Jesus. And Jesus willingly, as God, gave himself up so that he could take the punishment for your sins so that you could have life eternal, so that you could have a relationship with him forever. And he is just so good. And some people, like I said before, they don't see that as good. But to me, it's the greatest news there ever was. It is so amazing that he loves us that much. And so if you don't know him, I just invite you this morning just to, to receive him into your life, to say, I want you to be my God. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. And I want you to fill me I want you to take control. I give my life to you, my sin, everything I've done, I give it up to you, and I trust in your forgiveness. And he puts his robes of righteousness on us. Isn't that amazing? You know, we can't ever measure up. We can't. But he puts his robes of righteousness and love on us. And that's what we see. And that's the, how we get ourselves ready, by seeing who we are. And the more we see who we are through him, the more we want to live for him, the more we want to do what's right, and the more it purifies us. So let's just pray. And if there's anybody here who just feels like they need to recommit themselves to this and have been struggling with this whole thing of truth, of this word, 
and, and the temptation to compromise or they just want to commit to being a burning one who pursues God, who doesn't give up no matter what. I invite you to just to come forward, to commit to that, and to, if you need prayer even, or, or stand in your seat, whatever you want to do, just to, to say, God, God, I want to be a burning one for you. I want to be a burning one for you, Lord.